Hey guys, welcome to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And I'm so excited about having my guest on today. My guest earned his bachelor's degree in science and in mechanical engineering from UC Santa Barbara. He has a master's of science in aerospace engineering and a PhD in structural engineering from UC San Diego. He co-authored the California bill AB220, allowing Northern Lights Music, no, I'm sorry, Northern Nights Music Festival, which he co-founded to be the first legal cannabis sales and consumption event and paving the way for the future events in California. He's a co-founder and COO at One Log Cannabis Business Park and the compliance officer at Mesh Ventures. He serves as a chief operating officer at Backbone. Peter Houston, thanks so much for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montel today, sir. Thanks for having me. Honored. Absolutely. No, it's an honor to have you. You have such a really impressive, diverse background, um, you know, educational background. Uh, it just seems like uh, kind of crazy. Tell us about your work. First of all, let me talk a little bit about your work. You work with NASA, correct, in an, in an aerospace engineering program? Yeah, I uh, was uh, in the test. You, you'd be surprised when the spaceships go up how much money we spend on the windows. So why? So that the astronauts can look out the windows. Uh, so worked a lot on that stuff, but yeah, it's been an interesting ride. I can, I'm definitely happy to kind of share that ride. But that's kind of it's an an interesting ride, but it seems like an odd ride when it comes to traditional to the cannabis industry. I mean, what what got you? What made you decide to transition from traditional engineering into cannabis? Well, I mean, I guess put it this way, right? If you look at traditional engineering, you look at the way the world works, the equations of motion, equations of thermodynamics, and trying to model what really happens in real life. Uh, you know, I think what right now I'm just modeling weed. So, uh, you know, that's the kind of the analogies um, that come with it. But I know that you were also, uh, you had some, uh, uh, you were some military background yourself. Well, I have military background, but my, my degree is from the Naval Academy in general engineering. So I just thought it was interesting, though, that you uh, transitioned from engineering into being a cannabis. Have you always been a cannabis enthusiast? Yeah, I'd say from when I was 16, uh, I figured out that I wanted to have math and science first and second period, and that let the rest of the day happen. Huh. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Right. Okay. So now let's talk about what was your first foray into cannabis? Um, I think very classic, right? It was, you know, older siblings from one of your best friends to hanging out and, uh, you know, uh, started to really kind of, you know, it was a break for me, really started to enjoy it. And then I think the big thing that happened was we started going to reggae on the river um, in high school. Oh, okay. What years were you going to regular river? I've, I've spent a couple of years up there myself. Uh, this would have been early 2000s. Same year. I was up there early 2000s. I probably was there, I think, ooh, 2003, 2004. I spent those two years up there. So, see, you had a Navy background. You were you were parting, out, parting up at regular on the river, and now you're in weed, too. You've got a lot of similarities there. I come, absolutely. But what got you into the weed business? Well, after uh, school, I was postdocing for a year. And look, I was working on, you know, our nuclear arsenal during the Cold War. Um, my master's was really like someone decided that, hey, we built a bunch of nuclear weapons really, really fast, like 
someone want to check in on those things and see how they're doing. And so it worked on that. Then I worked on the DDG 1000, the new Navy destroyer, um, and was working on the effects of blast. And it was all fine and dandy. Um, but at, during my postdoc, when I received, I wrote a really big dissertation on how much money the Navy could have saved um, on their designs. And then I got, you know, during the postdoc, I got a, a note back that said, thanks for the work. We've already built the ship. We were just trying to cover our tracks. And so, um, you know, it wasn't necessarily the best, you know, dinner conversation. You know, yes, we're trying to do some protection and everything else. But we had been throwing uh, events, you know, for a long time, just little events. But we were promoters, both in San Francisco and San Diego. And uh, Reggae on the River in 2009, um, they, you know, they call them the Reggae Wars up there. Uh, people got greedy. And, uh, you know, it stopped. And so that was our kind of home base for a long time. And so, you know, 10 years of school, I still had an itch to throw the biggest party possible. And so we went back up there and found the landowners where the Reg on the River site was happening. And um, we said, we want to do this. And we got permits for it. And in 2013, uh, we threw our first small, it was small at that time, like 600 people event called Northern Nights. Um, and it's an interesting location, right? Because it's right on the border of Mendocino and Humboldt County. Um, so you've got kind of right smack in the middle of the Emerald Triangle. And so as the event grew over the next couple of years, and we're talking 14, 15, 15 is when legalization really started to kind of take place. And when you're sitting up there in the Emerald Triangle, um, and, you know, a lot of the people who would come and help us build the festival, they, they were Reed Mountain local boys, local, you know, farmers who would come down and help us and help us figure it out. And so uh, they, when legalization come, they start saying, Peter, you get these permits for your festival in these two counties. Can you help us get our weed permits? And I said, why not? Right. Sounds interesting. Gotcha. And so that's, that's kind of where it began. Um, and I mean, nobody had done that. It, but, but let me ask you, were people permitted to sell weed during the, uh, you know, the, your predecessor, you know, reggae? Well, during reggae? No, I mean, you know, up there, everyone kind of turned, uh, you couldn't really do much. But around the 2012, 13s, 14s, the Emerald Cup was happening, right? And there was this whole idea of the 215 zone, right? And right. so the 215 zone was this, you know, it was this, if you had a friendly sheriff and you had a friendly, everyone would say, you know, that's the medical area. So we tested that out a few years. Um, but you know, that's not scalable more than you're kind of off into the corner. And so it was, I think, I believe it was about 2017. Um, and Salwa Ibrahim and Martin Kaufman, they're kind of, I would say legends in the Bay area, um, uh, cannabis space. Um, they were close and they had been looking at the Fox theater for a long time and wanting to do something there cannabis related. And they you know, everything music up in Northern California goes back to Bill Graham. Right. If you really look at everything. And so, you know, and all his predecessor, all his descendants are now the owners of another planet and outside lands. And so outside lands was always, you know, they're their own independent event. They had wanted to do this, too. They had wanted to figure it out. San Francisco being progressive. And so we joined forces and we basically worked on AB 2020, which was how do we um, sell weed at non fairgrounds? You got to remember when legislation came out, the state's like, well, we own the fairgrounds, so we'll just say it's okay at the fairgrounds. But that left all private property. You couldn't sell cannabis. And so we did the work to get AB 2020 passed, which allowed private venues, if the local jurisdiction permitted it, 
for you to go ahead and sell cannabis just like a beer garden. At an event. At an event in private property. And these are specific licenses for the event, specific event, not some duration period. Uh, it's 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 actually you can have a, a total of three days in a row the way that it was written. So it kind of worked out for the festival. We got to remember when they structured that first bill and you're talking about a fairground, right? You're talking about these kind of high times cups and emerald cups that are kind of they never really thought about it because the as concessionaire like you would at for alcohol. Right. So we essentially grabbed that framework and said, well, let's see if we can tweak it to be a, more of the concessionaire model. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you want to know how to become a social media influencer, how to grow an online business, how to make money from your laptop and build a profitable online company? Well, I'm going to show you how in my podcast, Living the Red Life. I built a million-dollar company at the age of 25, a $10 million company at the age of 30, and now I'm the A-list celebrity marketer that speaks around the world on how to transform businesses and make them profitable using Facebook ads, marketing, social media. My name is Rudy Moore, and I'm super pumped to bring you my podcast, Living the Red Life. I know this is going to become your new favorite podcast, and I'm going to show you how to grow a profitable online company step-by-step every single week. Um, so now you have the Northern Knights Music Festival is a regularly annually scheduled event. It is. I mean, outside of, you know, this, this current time right now, it is uh, a third weekend of July every year. It's uh, 8,000 people for four nights. Um, and it is it's a blast. We partnered with Corin Capshaw, uh, Red Light Management, um, who have been great partners to us and um yeah, it's been, you know, it's it's up and coming uh, in the sense that we always kind of really, you know, try to focus on, you know, everything except for reggae, put it this way. I still got a lot of respect for that event. And when they say, hey, you get all the other music genres, I, that's pretty fair. Right. right. <laughs> um, and, and, and so, yeah, that would go ahead. No, I'm saying I, it's really interesting because I'm sorry I, I have been ignorant to and didn't know that this was going on. Yeah, well, see what happened in, in 2019, we, so Outside Lands is two weeks after Northern Nights. So Outside Lands got a bunch of press. We were always super involved with the team there at Outside Lands for Grasslands, but we did a dry run at Northern Nights two weeks beforehand. Um, and it, it's a trip, man. It's, you know, you got to remember when you're selling alcohol at events, you have, you know, uh, you've got uh, bars and gardens all over your festival, right? At every stage, pop-ups everywhere. Um, but with cannabis, right, especially this first year, you get you got to like go into the corner, right, and you get one little area, um, and it was all a test, man. It was, um, it was wild. It, it was it was really interesting, you know, and also like the sponsorship models, um, you know, it's all different because you know you're bringing in product for the first time, so it's it, there's a lot of logistics that you know people might think it's like alcohol, but it's a whole nother animal with this and type of regulation. Each individual distributor or each individual who is providing the cannabis has to be licensed and get a little license for that event. Correct. And what we did though, we did a little bit of a different model. We did more of the concessionaire approach. So if you look at the Emerald cup and high times and those types of events, right, all of the vendors have all of the licenses and they all show up the way that we did it. We say one distributor, one retailer, right? You're the master. And then, Outside of the event, you bring in everything to the distributor and that single distributor comes in and then you got one retailer. So uh, it was only two licensees per se, 
But then you got the brands who are out there. You have to have a licensed retailer as the employee and it gets real dicey, right? So um, we, we learned a lot. I think the BCC Bureau of Cannabis Control learned a lot as well. They were, you know, we, we, we went right with them. We were hand in hand. I remember that guy coming in right at when doors opened um, and he just sat right into the distro container, sat down probably next cop and says, hey, I'm going to be here all weekend. Wow. Just making sure you comply. Yeah. I mean, they were learning, right? This has all been a learning experience in California legislation. They've all known that they've been really, really cool about it. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that was really, that was like a big piece of all of this, but throughout all in the background, I started getting all these permits for all of these local growers up north and really started to understand kind of the nuances. Cause you know, you're getting licenses, but you're getting licenses for who? Okay, well, then you're getting into starting a business for them. Then you're getting into the finances of it all. So it was a, it, it was a long journey. I did, you know, and then and then slowly kind of continued forward. Um, you know, a uh, couple other my buddies wanted out of the tech world and said, Peter, what are you doing up there? I want in. Um, and you know, bought a small farm. Um, started to kind of figure out the cultivation side of things, and then really the big thing that happened, Montel, was that when what we started to realize is that when the weed leaves the farm, you don't get much information back, back in the day anyway, other than your price point, right? And maybe, you know, it was fire, right? Or some sort of comment around that. Um, but then how does that really help the farmer know that, hey, man, in your appellation and the way that you grow, uh, it sells a top dollar in a CO2 cartridge, Right. So that was kind of the gap that we identified early on was that, you know, there wasn't really supply chain systems, right? It was back in the day, if you remember 2014, Colorado, it was a medical retail shop and that's all they were doing for medical. And then all of a sudden they said, well, you got a warehouse in the back. Well, why don't you tag all the plants too, right? Who cares what happens in between? Cause it's all enclosed. But then when all of a sudden there's a supply chain and there's moving parts and all of these pieces, it's like, hey, maybe it's kind of only in cannabis do, you know, manufacturers, processors, distributors use cultivation software. I don't know what other industry you do that in. So um, that was kind of when we realized and, and we, um, you know, started really started to invest and, and go deeper into the, you know, the center of the supply chain. And is that where you're the chief operating officer for Backbone? What, tell me a little bit about what Backbone is. Yeah. So um, here, put it this way. We were running trim up and down the state back then doing splits with manufacturers. Right. And what the split was is someone, you know, it's not everyone was cash heavy, but they were product heavy. So you go to an extractor, you drop off your trim, you come back a few weeks later and they say, give you a jar and a handshake. And they say, I promise you that's 50 percent. And it's kind of like you're sitting there kind of scratching your head a little bit like, OK. Um, so uh, I, that's when we said, look, there's an opportunity here. Um, we started a venture firm called Mesh Ventures, um, really sp specifically focused on the center of the supply chain, manufacturers, distributors, and brands. And we were looking for software. There was nothing to be found. So that's when we tapped our CEO now, Rajesh Chandran. Uh, Rajesh is somewhat of a legend in Silicon Valley. Um, not only has he been a very successful uh, overall just entrepreneur, um, but he actually was head of analytics 20 years ago at a company called NetSuite, um, which, of course, is Oracle's kind of really big ERP. Um, at that time, he had, this 20 years ago, 
he had said to the guys at Nets, we said, guys, like, we got to get a system for the operators, like something that doesn't require 20 pieces to operate, it's something that's accurate, boots on the ground ready. And that's, we said, nah, we don't, we're not going to do that. So luckily for us, he had an early exit uh, at his previous startup. And we said, Hey, Rajesh, that thing that you wanted to build a NetSuite 20 years ago, let's do it for cannabis and hemp. They need it right now. So he grabbed a couple of all-stars from Silicon Valley's the, from Sage intact from Intuit who builds QuickBooks. And they came up to the Emerald triangle and they started, uh, as I say, what developers do, they're really good bartenders. They sit there and they listen to all your problems and you just talk about them and they ask you more questions. And so for the past, you know, from there, what happened really was word of mouth. We started to test with all of our really network. We hadn't done any marketing and just started to talk to operators, get the systems going. And then, you know, more and more operators said, hey, Peter, uh, you know, I, can I work with you guys? Like, this sounds really cool. Like, you guys are going to start supporting all of these different operations. And so now, um, you know, for the past three years, essentially a team of us operators have been training this team in Silicon Valley and what a batter and a shatter and a fractionized CBD is, um, and all of the pieces of the puzzle. And, um, yeah, it's been, it's been, it's incredible to be able to see all of these operations in different places. I can't tell you the difference between a, you know, heavy duty extractor in Arcata who's been doing this for a long time versus right now you go to Tennessee right? And someone's flipping their crop and they're turning on processing in Tennessee. Like it's, yeah. So that's, that's kind of how we, we, we've come to be. Gotcha. Unbelievable. So you, are you operating in multiple States now? Or multiple, multiple countries. Um, we are, yeah, across, we're across all over, um, the country. Um, we're in Canada, um, that we're in Israel, uh, soon to be Colombia, Portugal. We're actually the only approved system outside of a current on Ample Organics in the Caribbean right now in St. Vincent. Um, so we've been, look, the big thing that's happening right now is that a lot of the seed to sale and a lot of the systems, there's kind of two classes that are out there for cannabis right now. You've got your classic seed to sale legacy systems, which are light. They help with some of the compliance stuff. And then you've got these monster overbuilt ERPs that are just, you know, so there's nothing really in the middle. And so what we've done is we've kind of found that, look, federal legalization, whatever you want to call it right now, uh, there's going to be a whole new set of regulators. And when I say that, I mean the FDA, the DEA, right, the, with, as this stuff. And, you know, the world is starting to transact right now, right? You're, they're transacting cannabis right now. So you got to have a little bit of a deeper understanding of the cannabis industry, first and foremost, because cannabis is such an amazing plant that when you harvest cannabis, you know this well. You know how many thousands of different directions a pot plant can go and get and create, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so that's that's where we're at. We're pre we're preparing for global trade, and we're just kind of helping folks really model their own processes, right? And that's the name of the game here. It's all boots on the ground. Cannabis and technology have not blended, but they're both cultures, right? And so I think we we're at a really interesting opportunity here to kind of you know, showcase cannabis culture, not for what it has been in the past, but that it can be an agricultural uh, crop, but that's not treated. Uh, I don't know. There's a, there's a, there's a new way that cannabis can kind of showcase how, how agriculture can be done. Um, and we're just trying to big that up and big up this industry right now. Gotcha. Look, I take a little break, pay some bills. And uh, when we come back, let's talk a little bit about your, 
um, One Log Cannabis Business Park. What is that? Is that a different company? It's part of the story, yeah. Part of the story. Okay, let's talk about that when we come back. We'll take a little break. And we've been talking to Mr. Peter Houston, and he's a part of Let's Be Blown with Montel. Take a little break. We'll be back right after this. Thanks so much for tuning in to Let's Be Blown with Montel. My guest today earned his Bachelor's of Science in Mechanical Engineering from UC Santa Barbara. He has a Master's Degree of Science in Aerospace Engineering and a PhD in Structural Engineering from UC San Diego. He co-authored California Bill AB2 2020, which allows for the Northern Knights Music Festival, which he co-founded, to be the first legal cannabis sales and consumption event and paving the way for future events in California. He's a co-founder and COO at One Log Cannabis Business Park and the compliance officer at Mesh Ventures and serves as a chief operating officer for Backbone. Peter Houston, thanks so much for being a part of the show today, sir. Pleasure being here, Montel. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about this One Log. Give me the title of that again. It's it's to one log house. So get this, we are, uh, we're, you know, we're, we, we had, we bought a farm. I can't tell you, don't ever buy a farm with no water source in the hills of Southern Humboldt, but I'm sure everyone's realized that at this point, um, but we made that happen. And, uh, you know, the Northern Knights music festival was happening right on the border there of Mendocino and Humboldt. And so what happened was, uh, the his, if you go up there and you drive up the one one you're going to see, you know, tchotchke shops, for lack of a better term, right? It's wood and dolls and bears and elves and Bigfoot and all the things you'll see on that highway. Well, one of the places right at the entrance to Reggae on the River is called the One Log House. And why is it called it? It was a coffee shop, but it had this giant cut down, uh, the first kind of mini miniature home that's all popular right now. But it's and so it sits on the side of the freeway as a tourist attraction. Um, Legislation's coming out. We're looking at zonings for different properties and maybe how we can kind of expand into more a commercial setting. And this property comes on the market. Um, I took a deep, really good analysis of what was going on there. Um, and the the guy who was selling it didn't really realize it either, but he had been trying to subdivide his property and he got stuck in a rezone. And so he's two years into this rezone. And I we say, wait a minute he's already two years ahead of the rezone. If we just catch it right now and put it to the right zoning, we can get all of the permits at this property. So we grabbed it um, and we started applying for them. And so uh, essentially now we've got, we inherited a tchotchke shop. So we still got the tchotchke coffee shop, um, but then we've put in a nursery, a mixed light and outdoor cultivation, manufacturing, distribution, and retail, um, all separate. Uh, we kind of took the Amsterdam approach. Shout out Kevin Jodry for his guidance on uh, on this one. He says, Peter, look, you guys got grandmas and kids coming in this coffee shop. You can't just make the whole thing a dispensary, right? It's it's classic. So we took the Amsterdam approach and we put the dispensary in the back of the coffee shop, right? And so um, it's been it's been a trip. Uh, the the team that we've kind of helped build this property. What happened is actually you fast forward a little bit, uh, you know, my partners there, Parker Burling and Ian uh, Habenick, uh, we met Burner along the way. And Burner says, man, you guys know what you're doing. Like, like respect. And we said, like, respect to you, bro. Like, what's up? How can we help? And so you fast forward a little bit now, Parker and Ian are now VP of finance and president of Cookies alongside Burner and helping scale that. One log 
the nursery now is now the library for all of the cookies genetics that we've been scaling. And now it's a testing ground now for new cookie strains that are coming out um, and also kind of a central hub there for uh, folks for distribution for folks in like Northern uh, Arcata and Northern Humboldt who want to push their product south. So yeah, it's been quite the trip, but now that we have our software company too, we get to test things out as well because we have all of the licenses there. So we've kind of got this training ground. Um, and then recently right now what's going on is we've worked, we're working with uh, Meadow who's a POS a company, Trim, a cultivation uh, company and ourselves um, and working with uh, Greenflower Media as well to try to go ahead and create a uh, workforce program up there where we can train folks um, in cannabis technology systems um, so they can get out there um, into the real world. So it's, yeah, it's uh, not a side project, but it's been, it's been a nice ride. Well, you've been working with and helping to you know, get advice to entrepreneurs and uh, to obtain various types of licenses. What would you say is the greatest challenge in the licensing process right now? I'd say it's one thing to um, get a license, right? And check all the boxes. Um, it's another thing to actually operate it, right? You, you're going to apply for a permit and you're going to say all of these, I will, I will, I will, right? And you get a permit because you said you would. And now all of a sudden you have to do all of those things that you said you were going to do. And I can't tell you, right? Like, especially in the cannabis industry, you know, we're making things like edibles and ingestibles and things that you inhale. And the cannabis industry isn't that used to that cleanliness of a facilities and operating like that. It's just, it's, it's been underground. So I think um, that's been the biggest change is people starting to realize that, look, this is a, let's say pharmaceutical grade, but this is a real deal regulated place where you got to wash your hands and COVID's actually almost probably made everyone like uh, the regulators stoked because they're like, oh man, everyone's actually putting up hair nets and washing their hands and wearing masks when they're doing. So I think that's the biggest challenge has been the realization that, you know, this can be a real industry guys, but you got to take it seriously. Well, and when you're talking about this would be a real industry, you've been doing a lot of work in upgrading the science level behind the back end of this, but what do you think about this brand new administration that we have that's just coming to office? who claims to be, you know, the purveyors of science, yet we've got a president of the United States who's six months ago said that cannabis is still a gateway drug. And you have a vice president who, as AG, ensured that the level of incarceration in California was highest in the country for multiple years while she was there. Uh, what do you see happening in the cannabis industry now that we have this new administration? Well, I think more to your point of what you said about the science, right? And where I think we're all aware of the famous University of Mississippi and their uh, uh, their mids, mid factory uh, out there that they've been testing and trying to, you know, that's been so. Um, I think the biggest thing that's going to happen is, I don't know if anyone's been watching, but the DEA yes. is now uh, going to be issuing uh, research permits. And so I think that if those are actually done correctly or at least in this new era of cannabis so i don't you know i think we have we, we might finally be in the position to actually gather market data to prove to the administration so that they have a leg to stand on with the science we did we don't have that data yet federal data if you will we've got some, we've got data coming in from all around the world i mean i think what like two weeks ago there was a double peer review 
published document talking about the fact that, you know, certain cannabinoids and um, some of the phytocannabinoids have a much more superior anti-inflammatory response in the lungs of COVID patients. We've seen information that's been published from around the world and that seemed to not break through. So do you guys have intention or the intention to do some lobbying and some testimonies so that you can finally start educating these people in Washington, D.C.? Absolutely. Right. And I think it's fear. Right. It's like um, going to be what you know, I think it's not just proving the effects of it, but to prove that you can actually control it and like like have regulation around it. So I'm with you. The science has been out there. But when you've got folks like the DEA saying what's going to be OK with controls, controlled substances, I'm not sure how much, you know, third party research papers from other countries the DEA cares about. Right. But then at the same time, you've got the, uh, the DEA that has you know, research that is actually on file in the United States. You know, the government just extended its own patent on CBD. So it's right. not like there's not information that they don't know. Right. That's fair. I, 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 you know what? I mean, you bring up a really good point. And I mean, I guess, right, like who who's leading that charge in the administration? Who is this going to be? Who's the candidate? Who's most... Uh, qualified right now would you say to be that person to lead that charge in our the new administration i don't think we have anybody in the new administration on the, in, in the ranks so far rank and file that's qualified in any way shape or form to lead maybe the that's the starting point we got to try to figure out how we get one but we need people like yourself and others in the industry because i've been i've been been beating this up and i've been involved in this industry since 2001 and you know, I've been testifying before state legislatures across the country, helping to move forward initiatives in the medical space. But at the same time, I watch an industry that spends so much time tripping over itself, trying to battle the B2B issues rather than battle the B2C issues. And that's educating the consumers, educating, you know, the end users. What do you see is going to happen in the next couple of years? I think that there's, you know, I think with the rest of the states coming online right now, I mean, you've been seeing in the news since, you know, very recently, right? Everything's coming online right now. I think with when those big, with the New Yorks and the Floridas and those places really start to come online. And then I also think with the amount of revenue potentially that the South can get from hemp, right, to start right now and people start really acknowledging the business aspects of it. Right. Uh, we've been in this for a long time. Right. What actually needle would right? It's business. Right. And lobbying and that type of stuff. So maybe we got to prove to them that there's tax revenue to be collected. Not, not, to, not to argue with you just for argument's sake, but you take a look at what just happened in California. This asinine rule that just was, is getting ready to, to change the rules for marketing and advertising. You can't you even put, you know, billboards up on, you know, interstate commerce routes. And, you know, you look at the, what is it, South Dakota that's trying to overturn the will of the public. I mean, you look across this country and as much as there are those who say and claim that, you know, states are excited about the revenue. And we recognize the fact that cannabis was the only you know, recession proof industry in this entire country in the last year. Even with that being said, you have these people who are just haters for hating sake. How do we overcome that? 
I, I think back to your point on the science, man. I mean, we're not doing ourselves a favor by having operators going out there right now and con doing cannabinoid conversions from THC to CBD. You know, that like totally puts people on They're like, excuse, like we thought we had a grasp on this. And all of a sudden, like we're like flipping the script on Delta eights and fractionizing these things. Right. Like there's so much science to be done. I feel like the industry keeps pushing forward, but the regulators keep saying, wait, I didn't think about that. Wait. How are we going to regulate that? So it's kind of a catch 22. We're not going to stop, uh, you know, uh, creating and inventing and doing new things. So I think there's a careful balance there um, on almost research versus commercial, right? Maybe is really what we're missing here. Right, right. But I guess we need more scientists like yourself and more people out there who are really the leaders in the forefront of this thing telling more of the story. And empowering more of those stories to be told, right? I think that's the biggest thing that we want here at Backbone, right? It's 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 not about us, right? We're I think it's really about our uh, the people that we're supporting, um, and I think that's those stories, right? And I kind of said it earlier on, like what does a you know hemp farm in Tennessee, a um, you know GMP processing facility in Portugal, and a you know small farm up in Southern Humboldt, um, how are those related? Right. Um, and, and trying to kind of tie the pieces together to everyone's individual story right now. I think that's going to be the biggest thing. It's got to come from the people, man. Gotcha. Well, what do you hope to see happen in the cannabis industry, let's say, this next year? Research. I think that with the, I think research, I think the, with the more states opening up and more data coming through, um, that's our biggest weapon that we have right now to get to kind of push forward right now. So I just hope that all of this information that we have can be used for good and not just used to push us down. Right. I think that's my hope is that all of this information coming through um, and if people can really try right now to, you know, I don't want to say misbehave because, you know, everyone is cannabis, everyone's doing their thing. But, um, you know, I think that's the biggest thing is like if we can prove what I would hope is that we continue to prove that we're good. This can be done correctly and we're not hurting anybody. Um, so that would be my hope is that, you know, we take a few more steps forward, um, not backwards. And what's next for you in the business, sir? I, the next thing for me right now is we are, uh, I'm, we're, kind of building a cannabis ERP now. We didn't set out to do a full-fledged system, but now that there isn't any um, really people doing what we're doing, I think our next step is to, uh, most exciting for me is to do international transactions, to be honest. Um, I'm excited to empower and enable international trade. We're starting to see a little bit of that right now. I mean, I know that the DEA has been authorizing some international cultivars to come in so that they can be worked on and tested and and uh, research can be done on them so uh, are you working on that end oh you better believe it i can't tell you how many uh the word fractionized right now is just in the top of my brain man people are doing a lot of wild things right now and um you know it's so yeah absolutely like that's right where we want to be right now um is just preparing everybody for what's to come. What's next for Northern Knights? You think it'll be back this night, maybe this summer or what next summer? Mm -hmm. Man, we've, we've uh, I, you know, I think 2022, I'm starting to see the smart people are just announcing 2022 right now. 
I think it's a little bit inappropriate, especially our size event out like, uh, you know, without proper facilities, if you will. Right. I could see like smaller venues that have really nice facilities and everything else. So, you know, maybe a 2000 person glamping event, right. If we're lucky this year. Um, but you know, it's, uh, I think 2022 is, is what's next. And, you know, we continue to, to push forward where we can, um, virtually from there. All right, sir. Well, thanks so much for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montel today. I tell you, anytime you have any information you want to share with us, you always have a home here if you want to come back, okay? I appreciate it, man. And, and you know, to tell you, just very, very honored. Appreciate all the work that you've done. I can tell you right now, I wouldn't be standing here if it wasn't for the work that you've been doing all these years and opening doors. And I hope that, you know, uh, what did I say? I want to be a doorstop, right? It's like you've been opening doors. Now let's hold the door open for everyone else. Let's hold the door open for everyone else. Thank you so much for being a part of the show today, Peter Houston. And, you know, you've been tuning in to Let's Be Blown with Montel. Make sure you pay attention. If people want to get some information from me, where do they go, Peter? Go to backboneiq.com, uh, northernknights.org, um, and uh, oneloghouse.com. So make sure you tune in to the next edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments. Are you dealing with best life burnout, constantly striving for more, and quite frankly, over it? Maybe you just want more joy, peace, and laughter in your life now. Well, then let's go. Welcome to your new favorite podcast, Hot Happy Mess, hosted by me, your girl, Zuri Hall. We are celebrating our magic in the middle of life's messes. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday. Listen to the Hot Happy Mess podcast on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.